Well, good morning. If you're excited about being at church on this Sunday morning, can you put your hands together and give God some praise? Come on, we can do better than that. Give God some praise if we're excited about being in church. Those who are worshiping with us online, you can give God praise too. Put some hands raised in the chat. We are excited about what God is doing. And I'm just really uh, glad to be in church this morning with you. And even as James, as he was leading that song and ministering out of it, when he gave us the opportunity to kind of take a moment and see what God was saying, I was still, even in my spirit, and I just felt like the Lord said for us today, even as we go into this message and this ministry time, that he wanted to show us a different side of himself today. God wants to show some people today a different side of himself. Maybe you've seen him in one way, but if you open yourself up and open your heart up, he wants to show you a new side of himself today. Amen? Amen. So listen, we are in this series. We're actually closing out the series today called Quicksand. And what we've been saying, if you've been around here for a little bit, we've said that we're on a journey. We're on a journey. That's the backpack today. I'm ready to rock. I'm ready to move on this journey. And in being on this journey, what we've decided is that we need to make sure that we always go first things first. And there's a scripture that we are burning in our spirits, burning in our minds, and it's Genesis 127, which says that we are made in the image and the likeness of God, that we are those created and fashioned after him, and we should be those who go out and emit that same light to the world. And as we do that, what we've been saying is that we have these two words that we've been really honing in on, and it's emancipating greatness emancipating greatness. That's why in every message, in every series, you see this is an emancipating greatness series because we're not moving on from that thought. We're just going deeper in that thought. And as we've been talking about this, we've been dealing with forgiveness over the last two weeks. And what I know is that through many testimonies, through many people talking to us, a lot of people have really received the grace of God and walking through forgiveness during this time. And we're going to continue to dig even a little deeper today. The first week we talked about forgiving others, forgiving others. All of us know that we know we need to forgive some people that we've been offended, somebody has done something to us that we have not let go of. In the second week we talked about forgiving God, forgiving God. And that may be a different type of concept for some people because you're like, how could I forgive God? He knows all. But what we said was that there still are things sometimes that we walk in that we don't understand God's moves. God does some things. He leads us through some different things. He even allows some things sometimes that we don't understand. And for some of us, if we're honest, we won't necessarily say it, but if we're honest, we have a little bitterness towards God sometimes. We look at God with the side eye a little bit sometimes. And what we said is that even when we don't understand what his moves are, we can trust him because he knows best for us and he's forever faithful. Amen? And today we're going to be digging into something that I really believe it's really the most important message of this series and will really allow us to move in all that he has for us. And today we're going to be dealing with that real thing. Like Michael Jackson used to say, I'm dealing with the man in the mirror. We're going to be talking about forgiving ourselves, forgiving ourselves. And this sometimes is the hardest thing for us to do, because as we're looking at this, here it is. Most of us can easily kind of get with, yeah, I need to forgive somebody. Most of us can even get with, okay, I don't understand God's moves all the time. But what about when we are the barrier? What about when we are the ones that set, us our, set ourselves up for quicksand? So I want to say this. In order for us to have God's greatness emancipated in us, we must learn to forgive ourselves. I want you to hear that, and then I want you to repeat this after me. Repeat this after me right here. In order for me to have God's greatness emancipated in me, I must learn to forgive myself. 
even when you just said that, some of you just kind of felt a little something right there. He's like, yeah, I've been kind of holding on to some stuff, and I thought I was going to be able to avoid it. As a matter of fact, there are literally people either watching online or even here in the room that sometimes, because you're not able to forgive yourself, you don't feel like you're worthy to actually receive the things that God is doing for you. I even had a chance to speak to some people after the first service where they were like, man, this is my first time back in church in a long time, and I started not to come because of some things that I walked through and because of some things that I did, and I didn't know if I could come back to church. And I just want to let you know right now, whether you're in the room or whether you're worshiping online, that is the ploy of the enemy to get you distanced from God because he knows God has something for you for you walk in your future. But if we don't understand that, what, we, what we'll do is we'll start thinking messages are for everybody else. We'll start thinking, okay, I can come to church, and yeah, I'll put my notes down. I'll even follow by you version, but I'm not necessarily going to pick that thing back up. But here's how I want us to posture our hearts today. The reality is that this particular message, believe it or not, it's not even really for you as you sit right now. This message is actually for your future self. This message is actually for your generations to come. This message is actually for your children's children's children because how you operate now can literally dictate the trajectory of the rest of your generations. And if we can grab this right now, we can understand that God wants to break some things. He wants to push us into a new place of understanding with him, but we have to receive it. Amen? So here it is. We've been talking about this word offense, being offended. And we described it and said in the Greek, it's called scandalon, scandalon. Scandalon, offense means a trap or a snare. It's something that's like an impediment, something that's put down to try to trip you up when you're on your way somewhere. And as we've been talking about this, again, we can easily look at and identify, yeah, they did that to me. Yes, they owe me. Yes, they need to apologize to me. We can even get our arms around, yeah, God, I really don't get that, and I have a little anger with you. But what happens when the trap that was set for you was set by you? What happens when it's not anybody else's fault, when no one else did it, but you're the one that sets yourself up for failure? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how we actually forgive ourselves and walk this thing out. Because what happens is that if we don't grab this, we won't understand that the trap that you've set for yourself a lot of times is your history. See, history by itself, there's nothing wrong with history. What makes history dangerous is when you start to live in history and it takes over your present and affects your future. And so many of us, if we're honest... We're seeing ourselves in the past tense. We're bringing stuff from the past tense, and God is saying, by my word, I've told you to release those things, but we keep setting traps for ourselves and getting stuck in the quicksand of our history. Now, I want to say this because what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the history of your guilt. I'm talking about the history of your shame. I'm talking about the history of that thing you did that you can't get over, but God already got over. I'm talking about those things that we hold on and try to press through by actions when God is saying, your actions will never be enough because I gave you my grace. But what I want us to know, and I want you to write this down, the first thing that I want us to really grab today, and it's in your notes and you version if you're watching, it's going to be on the screen. Watch this. How you handle your history can hinder your destiny. Let me say that one more time. How you handle your history 
can actually hinder your destiny. And what I mean by that is that a lot of times God has great and mighty things ahead of you, but you can't get past the things that are behind you. Let me make this really real for you because for me, sometimes I I like to be very practical because sometimes when people hear preachers talk, they kind of think, oh, you've always just kind of been saved. You've always kind of been a person who've always listened to the things of God. You know, you have angels floating around you and your wife's bed and you roll out the bed saying, thank you, Jesus. But the reality is, is that all of us have a history. All of us have something that we're overcoming. And for me, I remember a time, even when I was in college, many of you have heard me talk about my college days, but I remember when I was in college, I was walking in ministry. I was leading Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was the guy who was saying, you know, you have to make sure that you're born again. I didn't have any shame in my game. But in that same vein, what would happen a lot is that there will be times where I would fall short. There will be times where I would sin. There will be times where I would look at something and find myself on a website that I wasn't supposed to be on. There will be times when I, when I told a lie because I didn't want to face the reality of what was going on right there in my present because I was afraid of the consequences. And what I remember about that time is that a lot of times what I would do is I would feel like, okay, all right, I'm the Christian guy on campus, so I need to get this together. Yes, Lord, I know you say if I confess my sins, you will forgive them, but that's not enough. I need to go and spend some extra time in prayer today before I come out. I need to play some extra praise and worship today before I come out this dorm room. I need to make sure I pray and actually read my Bible even more, so much so that what we do is we actually think that we can pay penance to God trying to actually use our works to overcompensate for something that we did. And if you're honest in the room, you found yourself in the same place. You found yourself even before you come to church. Literally, some people are watching online at home today because you registered and you did something this weekend between the time you registered and between the time you came, and you said, I can't go into the church house like that. They're going to smell the sin all over me. The preacher going to call me out. I'm not down for that. They believe in Holy Spirit over there, so I can't even risk it. And some of y'all said, I'm going to risk it all because I need God. I don't know about you, but I need God so much that I got to risk it all. But what I learned through this time is that what I was doing when I would hold myself back and I would think I had to work myself out of a ditch of sin to actually get God's grace is that I actually made myself self-checked. If you know anything about basketball or you played coming up in recreation times or, you know, uh, rec leagues, what you would find is there was always that one person on the team, you know, they would get picked last. And then the person would be playing basketball and they'd get ready to pass the ball to them. And that person that's self-checked, they look at it like, please don't pass the ball to me. I'm just out here so I don't get fined. I'm really not ready for this. I'm just out here so I can have the camaraderie. And if we're honest, most of us at times... We're self-checked when it comes to the destiny that God wants us to walk in because we find ourselves saying, Lord, I'm not ready to receive this purpose from you. Lord, I'm not ready to receive this promise that you said about me because of what I did last night, because of what I did last week, because of what's in my past in the city that I moved from. I moved to Atlanta because I want a new start because nobody knows me here. If you can't say amen, say ouch. But what we do is that we subconsciously leash ourselves to our past when God is saying, I want to cut the leash. I want to unleash you into your destiny, but if you keep holding yourself back, you'll be the one that's self-checked. 
Now, here it is. I'm going to go a little bit deeper right here because some of you, you hear me talking about forgiveness. You hear this word. You know the concept of forgiveness. You know that we're even supposed to receive forgiveness. But some of you are still framed. Some of us are still framed by your history. You may be saying, all right, brother, pastor, Mo, I hear you up there, but you don't really know what I did. You're talking about those first level sins. You don't know I'm on level 12 right now. And I'm wondering if there will be forgiveness for that thing. Let me talk about it for a second. Let me, let me get real transparent and real, real in the room right here. Some of us are saying, I used to steal. I used to be a thief. So that's why God's not blessing me right now. That's why my money's not right, because I used to do some things a little bit dishonest. You know, I, I got my credit score bumped up a little bit illegally. I got that car illegally. I got that spot illegally. It didn't last too long, but I got it illegally. So maybe that's why God's not blessing me right now. Some of y'all are saying, I had that abortion when I was in a very vulnerable spot. And now I'm married and I'm trying to have kids and that's why we're having problems conceiving. That's why I had a miscarriage because now, you know, God is actually, he saw what I did then and I didn't steward that time well and I don't know if I'll be able to make it past this moment. There's some people in the room that may be saying, hey, I've lived a life of sin so bad that the Lord can never use me in ministry. I feel like through this emancipating greatness series that God is calling me to step out. Yeah, I hear them saying that I was made for something great, but you don't know what I did. I don't know if there's room for me in the kingdom of God. And here it is. Some of you are saying, if I just wasn't wearing that particular outfit to the club that night, Maybe I wouldn't have got raped. Maybe I wouldn't have been violated. Maybe him or her wouldn't have came at me like that because I kind of set myself up for it. I was kind of inviting that type of attention. I'm here to tell you all of those things, they're whispers and they're a lie from the pit of hell. Because the enemy's ploy is to get you off your game and to start to think that you could actually do something that's worth your forgiveness. The enemy's ploy is to get you to think, yeah, you can only walk in a certain level of destiny because there's only so far that you can go with that sin. And so I want to make it very clear in here, the trap of religion, not relationship, the trap of religion is to think, get you to think that what you can do outweighs what Jesus has already done. I need to say that for somebody else right here. The trap of religion is to get you to think that you can do some things, that you can pay penance, that you can worship enough, that you can read enough, that you can pray enough for God to forgive you more than what he's already done. And if we're very honest, most of us, a lot of us, don't see God as the gracious and the loving father as, as he is. A lot of us see God as one who holds a stance of punitive judgment. Punitive judgment. What is punitive judgment? Punitive is inflicting, involving, or aiming punishment at the offender. It's when you actually say, okay, this is intended to teach the offender a lesson. They're going to learn today. Yeah, they did all that. No, they're going to learn today. I'm not going to let them be blessed. They're going to learn today. No, God is saying, I'm not a punitive God. I'm a gracious God. I'm a loving God. But so many of us, if we're very, very transparent, we are carrying around the guilt of our past, and that's what's keeping us from running full speed with God. 
So as we're looking at this and we lean into this with our spirit, there are some things that we have to understand if we really want to emancipate the greatness and liberate the greatness of God in us and walk in the fullness of his calling. And the first thing I want to do, I want to set the tone with this scripture that gives us an understanding of how we're supposed to walk and what God's expectation is for us. Here it is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Somebody say trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. See, one of the most critical areas that trip us up is really not our future, because our future, we're going to mess up. There's some things that happen that we don't even know about. But the thing that really trips us up really comes from the things of our past. And the things of our past, they're the things that are weighing us down. And that's one of the reasons why we call this series quicksand. We call this series quicksand because quicksand is something that it looks like it's level playing field until you step into it. It looks all right until you take that step. It looks like I could just kind of dabble in it a little bit. I got enough strength. I'm, I'm going to be okay. But right when you step in it, you find yourself starting to sink. And then you're saying, Lord Jesus, help me. And God is saying, this quicksand that you're stepping in, I want to show you how to get out of it. And as I was doing research about getting out of quicksand, one of the top results that came out when it said, how do you escape quicksand? On all the Google sites, one of the top tips said, take off your jacket, take off your shoes, and take off any baggage you have. It was saying, make yourself lighter, because when you actually make yourself lighter, what you do is you increase the opportunity for you to stop sinking and for somebody to come and help you. But what many of us do, we don't understand that that historical trap that we have set is the baggage that we've been carrying. So here it is, this backpack right here. Some of us, we're like, okay, I need all the things from my past because that's an accessory to my life. I look all right. I'm feeling good. Everybody that sees me, they say, hey, brother, you're blessed and highly favored. You look good, man. You, you always bringing the swag. We appreciate the drip. Okay, okay. But what you know inside is that this baggage is not just an accessory. This is actually extra weight. And so many of us, if we're honest, God has been trying to get us to take the weight off our back, the things that are in our history, and to lay it at the cross so that he can actually make a new version of who you are. And the thing about it, here it is, it's not that God doesn't want you to bring some things from your past, but what happens is not about the bag, it's about what's in the bag. Let me show you what's in the bag. What's in this particular bag and what a lot of us deal with, this right here is a frame. For those who want to laugh, this is me. This is my BC self, my before Christ self. I had the, the, the Mo Diddy S-curl going on. I had the fake glasses on, little gloves. I thought I was cool. I thought I was good, but I, I wasn't. But what this represents is a framing of who I used to be, a framing of real things that I used to operate in. This person right here represented in this picture was not too honest. 
See, y'all don't have the burden that I have. See, my parents attend this congregation, so when I'm saying stuff over the platform, they learn something new about me every Sunday. <laughs> this person right here used to steal. This person right here used to lie. This person right here used to be, I got the superlative as a senior for most likely to tear the club up every weekend. Yeah, me. What this represents is real things, real actions, real behaviors that you used to walk in, but that you framed yourself still by those old things. And some of us, what we've done is we've allowed this old framing of us to be on our back and to weigh us down from going into our future. What else is in the bag? What else is in the bag? This is a clock. This clock represents regret. It represents time that you feel is wasted. It represents when you stepped out into that particular thing and you're going back and say, if I would have not only done this, if I would have been more prepared for that bar exam, if I would have actually spent more time on my books than with the girls when I was in college, if I wouldn't have gone to the place that time, maybe that wouldn't have happened. If I would have not had such high standards, Maybe I would be married by now. This represents regret. And so many people, while God is trying to pull you, give you that hand towards out of that quicksand, you're like, I'm holding on to that regret. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. How many of us are in regret? I got one more thing in the bag that's holding us down. This right here, most of my parents in the room know what this is. If we're honest, some of us in here are like, I know what that is too. I eat those now. <laughs> this is a Lunchable. This represents things that you used to eat at one season of your life that were beneficial that you've now outgrown that you're still trying to hold on to. This represents when you've been feeding on that relationship. You've been feeding on that environment. You've been feeding on this person's affirmation in the past. But God is saying, what used to be good for, for in-between snacks is no longer good to give you full substance for where you're going. What he's saying to us right now prophetically is that child's play is over. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I heard as a child, I did childish things. But now that I became a man or a woman, now I want to move forward in maturity. Somebody needs to let go of the old season. And the reason we have to let go of the old season is because many of us, we've take, took it, taken off the baggage, but we still carry the results of those things with us. That backpack on you is still historically haunting you as you need to move into your future. So here it is. We've taken off the baggage. We've identified those things. We've put it down. So how do we actually walk out of this quicksand that we're talking about? Let me give you a few things. Number one, we have to understand and first grasp this concept that we have to receive God's forgiveness. You might be like, man, duh. Like, I, I know I came to church. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about Jesus, all those type of things. But really, really. For real, for real. Do we really accept the forgiveness of God? Let me be clear why I'm posing this. It's, it's this reason right here. All of us have sinned. The thing that you have regret about, you really did it. I really did it. It's not in your notes, but Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned, even you with your sanctified self. Even you that know the Greek and the Hebrew. Even you that spend hours in your devotion, you still sin too. 
Somebody else's sin is just more overt and yours is covert. So when we understand that, what it is is that the challenge, even when we actually find ourselves being forgiven, is that a lot of times we hold ourselves to a higher standard than God even holds ourselves to. What do I mean by that? Yes, when we, when we sin, we need to ask God for forgiveness. But we need to also receive the fact that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. And what a lot of us do, going back to even myself in college, what a lot of us do is we say, God, I appreciate that, but Jesus' sacrifice is not enough. I still need to do these things. I still need to show myself spiritual. They're not going to see me as an authority anymore if I don't actually go in overdrive spiritually. But what we're doing right there when we do that, we're actually diminishing and mocking the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let me make this real, real, real clear. This may be a little nasty, but I'm going to tell you. What we do when we actually say, I have to do more things to actually receive the forgiveness, is we hawk up and spit a loogie right in Jesus' face. We see him ripped up figuratively. We see that he sacrificed. We see that he was beaten down. But we look at him and say, ah, Jesus, I appreciate that, but nah, that's not enough. I still need to go do these things. And what I say often, even in the membership class here at Victory, if you become a member or you're going to become a member, what I say is that when you sin and you don't actually accept Jesus' sacrifice, what you're doing is saying, Jesus, I know you died once. I know you got nailed to the cross. I know you went through excruciating pain, but go ahead and get back on that cross again because I need you to sacrifice again. And I say, don't put Jesus back on the cross because he's already paid the wages for your sin. But when we grab this, what it is is that we have to see, just like in John, 1 John chapter 1, it says this. Here it is. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises, and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, and everything not in conformity with his will and his purpose. Let me make sure I'm very clear. I'm not preaching an extreme grace message right now. You should feel guilty when something happens. You should feel a little regret. But what you don't want to do is start operating in shame. You should feel that regret. And that's just God saying, don't go back to that thing, whatever his or her name is. Don't go back to that event. Don't go back to that addiction because I have something greater for you. So here it is. Let me make this very clear. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Let me break it down to you. Guilt convicts us of wrong, while shame says you're wrong. An example of that, guilt says you lie, while shame says you're a liar. Guilt says you stole something, while shame says you're a thief, and nobody can ever trust you again. Guilt says you failed. Maybe you didn't hit the mark, but shame says you are a failure. And your identity is that of a failure. And as a matter of fact, as I'm sensing it and feeling in the room, some of you right now have been filtering even the first part of this message through a guilt of identity of shame. So what I want to do, I need everybody to lift your hands right now. Lift your hands right now. I want to pray over us right now because we need to break the glass ceiling of that thing that's holding us back from receiving the grace of God. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, even in this moment, prophetically, I declare that we will no longer be people who see through a filter of shame. 
Father, I declare right now that even as we're hearing this message, even those who are listening online right now with their hands lifted, I declare that we will receive this word, that we will not just hear it as words, but we will be doers also, and we experience the true grace that comes from you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you agree with that, put your hands together and thank God. Here it is. Write this down. The reason why I did that is because I need to make sure that we grab this because this is keys for life. Write this down. Shame wants to trap you into owning sin as your identity. Shame wants to trap you into owning the sin as your identity. No longer is it something you did, now it's something you are. That every time you show up, people are only seeing you through the identity of your sin. And God is saying, no, I paid for that. I sent my son Jesus to pay for that thing. And I want you to hear this in, in, in this next definition of even guilt and shame, because if we don't grab this, we will always find ourselves hitting ourselves up against a wall. Guilt works to point you towards God, and it leads you to repentance. While shame works to go against God and actually wants to create distance from God. An example is in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve, they ate of the fruit that they weren't supposed to do. God asks, hey, Adam, where are you? God knows everything. He wasn't really asking them his GPS location. What he was saying is that, are you going to actually operate in guilt and go to repentance and come towards me and own it? Or are you going to do what you did and operate in shame? And the Bible says Adam hid himself. How many people in this room, how many people online, you've operated in something, you knew it was the wrong standard, but instead of operating in a repentance, you actually started to recluse from God. You took three weeks away from church. That turned into three months. Three months turned into a year. A year turned into you backsliding and going and getting back into that addiction. God is saying, I don't want you to operate in shame. I want you to operate in godly guilt, which is described right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says this, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and the results in salvation. That's no that, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow. That's guilt. That's talking about guilt. But worldly sorrow, this is shame, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Worldly shame, when you distance yourself and hide yourself from God, results in spiritual death. I love how Charles Spurgeon said this. Hear this very clearly. He said this, there are two great lessons which every man must learn and learn by experience. I can't just tell you this by, by second nature. He says, before he can be a Christian, first he must learn that sin is an exceeding great and evil thing. And he must learn also that the blood of Christ is an exceedingly precious thing and is able to save unto the uttermost them that come unto it. What he's saying right here is, yes, that sin is real. Yes, that evil is real. But let me tell you this. The blood of Jesus, the grace of God, exceeds everything that you could even see and even the actions that you took willingly and unwillingly. But if we don't grab it, what we do is we keep looking at Jesus saying, go back and get sacrificed again. Go ahead and get those nails again. Go ahead and let them rip you to shreds again. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm tired. I did it once. I'm not doing it again. And the reason why we have to talk about this is that one of my burdens is that when people actually receive salvation, what we feel is that it only lasts as long as we're doing right. 
That's why you have people that come to the altar over and over and over again, feeling like they're getting saved over and over and over again. Watch this and write this down. True salvation is this. When we agree with his word over us that we are forgiven, we repent for holding our opinion over his, and we receive his full forgiveness through Jesus so that we can be healed and released from the penalty of sin. What I'm not talking about is this, this little sinner's prayer. Oh, Lord, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I am saved. I turn away from my old ways and I turn towards your ways. Yeah, that's what we do, but that's not the, the end of it. The fruit of it is that we have to really believe it and know that it is settled and walk in the strength of it. So when we grab this, here it is, Galatians 2.21, it says it like this. We don't want to make the sacrifice of Jesus meaningless. Galatians says this, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. If I could do it on my own, there is no need for Christ to die. I like to say it like this when it comes to forgiveness. If I could work it, then Jesus' sacrifice is not worth it. Let me say that one more time because this is somebody needs to take this in. If you could work it, then Jesus' sacrifice would not be worth it, worth what he did for you, worth how he sacrificed for you. But what we have to grab is this. We've now received God's forgiveness, which leads us to understand how we take responsibility and release ourselves from the penalty of that sin. See, a lot of times we can receive the fact that, yeah, Jesus died for us, but how do we actually keep carrying that thing around? Hear this and write this down. If we don't receive God's forgiveness... We are holding on to unnecessarily weight that leads to spiritual death. If we don't receive God's forgiveness, what we're doing is we're putting on unnecessary weight that leads to death. Let me paint this picture for you. Paul in Romans 7, what he did is in, in those days in Rome, he started to tell a story. He started to talk about how there were things that he didn't want to do, but he always found himself still doing it. He would say, there are things warring in my members, warring against what I know to do and what I know not to do, but I still succumb to what I actually should not do. But a little bit later in that chapter, the reason he was actually painting that picture is because he wanted people to see this in very real fashion. See, back in the day when it came to capital punishment, when it came to people actually going through excruciating things after they've committed a crime, if someone murdered somebody back in that day, one of the things that they would do is that they would punish them by putting a corpse on the back of that person. They would strap a dead body on someone's life so that they can say, for the last couple of weeks of your life, you're going to feel this weight and you're going to feel this pain. See, it wasn't just that they walked around with this weight. Those bodies that were dead, they started to decay while they would walk around with them. They had maggots in them. They had larvae in them. They were actually poisoning, and actually the poison that was coming from that decay started to seep into the body of the one who was condemned. And what they were saying is that because of your sin, because of you committing this crime, we're going to make you feel this weight on you. We're going to make you get decayed because of the fact that you did something, and we're going to make sure that that weight weighs you down to death. How many of us figuratively, we're picking up dead bodies, the dead body of the bankruptcy, the dead body of the abortion, the dead body of the affair that you started, the dead body of the place that you shouldn't have gone, the dead body of the credit fraud. How many people God is saying, I want to give you a new start, I want to use you, but you're weighed down. 
You're way down and you're walking in poison and you're walking in decay and you try to get up, you try to go, to go to the church house, but every time you go, you walk in and you feel like this weight is on you. God is saying, I didn't call you to walk with that weight. I called you to take the strap off. I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk around strapped to death when God has given me life. But in order to walk in this, what we have to understand is just like in the scripture, it says here in Romans 7, it actually says this, Paul is painting this picture. He says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He's saying my mind is making me relive and carry my sin even though Jesus forgave me of it. My mind is making me do this over and over again. My history is setting booby traps for me, and God is saying, stop walking in them. He goes on to say, what a wretched man I am. He's acknowledging, yes, I did it. Yes, I sinned. But he asks, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm getting happy when I say it right there because I know what I did. See, you might not be able to see somebody's sin, but if you're honest in here, you can thank God and say it just like Paul. Thanks be to God who delivered me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying is that the sacrifice of Jesus unstraps you from the weight of condemnation from the past. You might not get happy about it, but I'm celebrating that right now here in Jesus' name. When we stop carrying it, what we have to understand is that these are all deceptions of the enemy that try to lock us up in shame. Again, I said there's a difference between guilt and shame. And there's also a difference between conviction and condemnation. Let me break it down to you. Conviction means to convince completely through the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit wants to remind you, wants to convict you, wants to make sure you don't go back to that place of sin. And this behavior says that you missed the mark that you need to acknowledge it and repent. But condemnation, it accounts you as guilty, brings you to ruin. It gives you a negative judgment and says you are not worthy of forgiveness. You can never do anything that actually got you worthy to be, uh, to be forgiven of that sin. But I want you to write this statement down because you might want to tweet this, you might need to repost it, whatever, because this is something for all of us to grab. Condemnation is simply a perversion of conviction. Condemnation, that thing you can't shake, that thing you try to keep moving through, that thing that you keep holding on to even when Jesus said release it, it is a perversion of conviction. Because my Bible says it like this. You may have heard it before in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're carrying things that we shouldn't be carrying. We're holding on and we're stuck in this quicksand when God is saying, I gave you the remedy, take it off, let me hold your hand and pull you out. But some of us need to hear this in a little different way. We need to take it back a little bit. There's a song that used to be played back in the day that some of us might know in the room and I wanna see if we can get it in this reconciled church and see if we can sing it together. Put that on the screen for me. Let's sing this together. Let's see if you remember. What a friend we have in Jesus. Everybody. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Keep it going, keep it going. 
Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's not just nostalgic. Sometimes we need to be reminded that while God is saying, stop carrying these things in your own strength, he's saying, carry it to me in prayer. Give it to me. You don't have to hold on to this. You don't have to be weighed down by this. You don't have to actually think that you can work your way out of this. Carry it to me in prayer and stop carrying it on your back. Because when we do that, that takes us to this last thing that gives us an action point. After we've received the forgiveness and after we've released the penalty, now we need to move forward with God. What we actually have to do is we have to decide that I'm not just moving forward, but I'm moving forward with God. Because many of us have moved forward without God. And that's what got us on with these backpacks. That's what got us with all this history. But can we now move forward with God? That means that we need to repent. And repenting is not just asking for forgiveness. Repenting is truly changing your direction and depending on him to guide you. So as we look at this, I want to let you know, because you've been seeing it on the flyers, you've been seeing it on our promotions, I want to say this prophetically and very affirmatively, that there is a great call on your life. See, you hear those type of things, but I need you to receive it. I want to let you know on this side of the room that you were made for something great. See, they didn't believe it over here. I need to say it right here in the middle. Those who are online, I need you to put something in the chat. And if you believe it, I need y'all to understand that you were made for something great. That was kind of all right. I'm trying to see if y'all are really getting it over here on this side. Y'all the smallest section of the room, but let's see if y'all really get it. You were made for something great. See, here it is. I'm not trying to hype you. I'm trying to get you to get this in your spirit. Because you're going to walk out of here and something else is going to try to be a booby trap for you. Something else is going to try to pick you, pick you up and turn you around and not let you sit on solid ground. But God is saying right now, if you can receive my forgiveness and understand that you were made for something great, I don't want you to pick the backpack back up. I don't want you to pick the dead body back up. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear this scripture, and it says this in Philippians 3. It's saying this. Paul said, I am not saying that I have it all together. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that you might not mess up again. I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. He's saying, I don't have it all together that I have it made, but I am well on my way. Why? Because I'm reaching out for Christ. I'm coming out of the quicksand. He said, who has also reached out to me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. He is saying it does not mean that you're going to be perfect. But he goes on to say, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back, and I'm not turning back. I love the way he said it twice. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back, and I'm not turning back. What he's saying right there is that there is, there is opportunity for me to pick up that backpack. 
There is opportunity for me to look back, but I'm on my way and I'm running full speed ahead. As a matter of fact, what he's really saying is that you cannot move forward into your future while you're still trying to hold on to your past. And if we really want to walk in the deliverance, if we really want to walk in the emancipation of greatness, we have to be able to, like Frozen used to say, let it go. <laughs> we have to let it go so that we can take hold of what's in the future. Let me read this last scripture over you as a prophetic declaration over us that we carry with us and that we receive. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18. Hear this. Grab this. Take it into your spirit. God is saying to us, and this is for everybody under the sound of my voice, forget about what's happened. Forget about what's happened. Forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert. Be present. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? Don't you perceive it? If you'll stop looking back, if you look forward, don't you operate in this new thing? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert. Rivers in the lands that used to look bad. He's saying, open your eyes. Stop operating in condemnation. Yes, you might be guilty for a moment. That just means it's time to redirect. But don't let the devil steal your future and keep you stuck in this present place by not understanding that you are free and free indeed. Here's the question that I have for you. If you've accomplished what you've accomplished thus far while carrying all this unnecessary weight on you, while carrying this backpack of your history all over you, how can you run now that you're free of all that weight? How can you run now when you don't have something trying to pull you back? I believe right here in this room, just like I said, you are made for something great. 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 Receive it right now. You are made for something great. Somebody needs to receive it. You are made for something great. I'm not just speaking words. I'm speaking what the angels are saying over your life. You are made for something great. You are made to operate in destiny. You are made to operate in purpose. The Lord even says right now, dust off those old plans of things that you thought you were disqualified from doing. Go back and do that thing again that you thought you failed in and now you thought you were a failure. Go back to that person and repent and say, no, I'm not the same person that I was before, but I want you to walk with me in this new season that I'm in. You were made for something great. And because I believe it and because you will receive it, I believe God will establish it in your life. I want to pray over all of us right now. And I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Because what I want to pray, I want to pray an intentional prayer to release you of the condemnation of your past and for the acceptance of how you'll step into your future. With every head bowed all over the room, with every head bowed, even watching on live stream, Father, we thank you right now that we agree and we align with your work and with your word that we are forgiven. Father, right now, we repent for holding our opinion over your word. Lord, we receive, we really receive your full forgiveness that has been provided for us through the Jesus Christ sacrifice on the cross.
Lord, we accept your invitation to walk forward with you for the purpose you have over our lives. And God, we thank you for being here with us, taking us into our future and allowing us to walk in the greatness that you have for us. In Jesus' name. I'm not going to say amen yet because some people need to release that into the spirit. You heard my prayer, but you need to agree with it in the spirit. You may not understand and receive that God has a reckless love that he has for you. So in this next moment, I need you just to receive that. I need you to let that just sit right there in the atmosphere. Under your breath, through that mask, you might need to say, God, I really give that thing to you. There's a husband and a wife in here that that may be in in the room or even watching online. That the history of the affair, that the history of the betrayal, that the history of the violation of trust has been keeping you back from moving forward in his promise. And I believe right now that counseling won't fix it alone, that somebody saying sorry won't fix it alone, but the blood of Jesus and the anointing of Holy Spirit will fix it and set you on the path to move forward and walk in the fullness of healing. If you're with your husband or with your wife right now, you might not have been able to get words in your mouth, but I need you just to squeeze their hand right now. There's a love that's so reckless that God says, I don't care what you did. I don't care that you feel like you can't make it past this place, but I'm coming after you anyway. There's no valley too low. There's no wall that's too high that I won't come after you. 